We'll be reading from verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 1 down through verse number 28. And we'll read these verses responsively. And so we'll begin together in verse 24 and then read every other verse together down to verse 28. Let's begin in verse 24. Ready? And when she had weaned him, she took him with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And they said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of her. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. I want to preach a sermon with this title. The ingredients make the recipe. The ingredients make the recipe. Brother Joe, if you could turn me down just a hair, I'd appreciate that. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this morning. And as we bring a sermon that is meant to challenge the uh, moms and dads who have their children dedicated today, Lord, we pray that everyone here today would be challenged through your word. May we all find something here that can make us better Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, as a boy, uh, we lived two and a half hours away from grandmother's house. And uh, as a boy living in the deep south, we didn't call her grandmother. We called her grandma. Grandma. And it was a good, that was, a, that, was, um, uh, that was how she called herself, thick southern draw. My, fa- my father grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we, um, we lived in a town named Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And so we loved visiting grandmother's house. And she had worked as a paralegal up until she had retired. So she was, was quite wealthy. And we, um, we'd go over there and she would always have the best name brand cereals waiting for us in the pantry. Uh, now you have to understand, we grew up, um, uh, broke. Uh, and so, we didn't get name brand cereals. We got the off brand. It wasn't, you know, um, uh, cinnamon toast crunch. It was Cheerios, not honey nut Cheerios because the honey was extra, just Cheerios and cornflakes. And, you know, that we, we were given a ration of how much sugar we could put on our cereal. You know what I'm talking about this morning? And so when we went to grandma's house and she had golden grams and cinnamon toast crunch and lucky charms, can I get an amen for lucky charms this morning? Um, we just loaded it up. And I remember my mom uh, would walk in and my grandmother is helping us get our cereal. And, and my mom would try to limit how much we could have. And my, my grandmother would just reprimand her. You leave my grandbabies alone. They'll have as much cereal as they want. And yes, glory, hallelujah for grandma. And uh, we, uh, we, would, we would eat it up. On top of the cereal, about once a year when we would visit, she would load all of us up. And you have to understand, my parents had seven children. And so what I'm about to tell you, really, the amount of kids uh, makes this uh, really matter. But she would load us all up, in, 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 or we'd load up my parents' van, and they'd, she, uh, we'd follow her to an outlet-type area. And we would walk into this shoe store that had more shoes than, you know, you can just imagine. Just maybe go down to Clinton, one of those big shoe stores. Uh, so we, we go in, and she says, y'all find whatever shoes you want, and I'm going to buy them for you. And I mean, listen, this was the day where the light-up shoes were king. You know what I mean? 
And uh, you, you'd pick them and you'd smack them on your hand. If it didn't light up, you put it back and went for another pair. And so, uh, you know, I, we, were, we were wearing junk tennis shoes to school, sometimes with holes in them. But then we'd go back to school with those on like, yeah, this is what's up. We got the good shoes, and now, now everyone's going to like me. And Grandma would always just spoil us rotten. Some of you grandparents here today, if you do that, keep doing it for your grandkids. Just just keep pouring on that love. My, my grandmother was the typical grandmother in that she spoiled us. She loved us. When we heard we were going to Grandma's house, I mean, it was, it was just the most exciting feeling that you can imagine. We loved her. Uh, but the one aspect of going to Grandma's house that wasn't fun was that she had a strong philosophical disagreement when it came to parenting. And she did not like the way that my parents were raising us. There was a sharp contention uh, there. And my dad, being a Christian man, tried to minimalize that contention. But oftentimes my grandmother would pick at that and and bring it up and make a bigger deal out of it uh, than she should have. And as much as my father tried to minimalize that contention, uh, oftentimes it was difficult to do that. Specifically, I was raised in a home where my father... uh, would spank us when we misbehave. He didn't beat us. He wasn't abusive toward us, but he would dispense of corporate punishment when we stepped out of line. And my grandmother felt as though any time that you use a paddle on a child, you are abusing them. And she had no problem telling my dad that. I can remember many nights laying in bed at my grandmother's house and listening to my mother just just verbally tear apart my father in the other room about this topic. And so my dad was very gracious and kind and careful. You say, well, how did he handle that if you misbehaved uh, while uh, you were there? And trust me, I misbehaved quite a bit as a little boy. And when you're the oldest of seven, you have a pecking order. And those siblings are going to do what you say or they're going to pay the price. And so um, how many oldest siblings in here? You know what I'm talking about. How many of you are the younger sibling and got stepped on your whole life? You know what I'm talking about, right? And so things were of that nature. And and oftentimes uh, we would step out of line and misbehave and well how did my dad handle that well he would very subtly and covertly take us into his vehicle usually it was a minivan with that many kids and he would drive us around the corner and he would go in the back seat and he would wear us out in the back seat of the van where we could scream as loud as we wanted and nobody would know you say well what kind of windows did you have the most dark dark tinted windows that they sold. In fact, I don't know if my dad put extra tent on the windows. I'm being somewhat facetious there, but he would spank us and then he would wait until we were done crying and our faces were cleaned up and then he'd bring us back and say, no, not a word of this to your grandmother. Or we'll come back and we'll do this again. It was a sharp, sharp contention between her philosophy of rearing children and my parents philosophy of rearing children now all these years later i have uh, sat down and i have thanked my father for the way he raised me i have and did i enjoy getting spanked as a boy absolutely not no, not one moment of it i was a fearful of it if i had done wrong and i knew one was coming boy i mean i was just living under terror until it was over and uh, i have to tell you though that i developed a strong fear for my father, and I loved my father, and that went from fear that he was going to hurt me when I was little. I got to a place in my teen years where I was afraid of hurting him, letting him down, and uh, uh, it was it was a healthy relationship that I had 
with my dad. I wasn't abused. I wasn't, uh, uh, there's no uh, leftover psychological damage from it. I remember one day uh, while we were at my grandparents' house, I was a, a, a preteen or maybe 13 at the most, and I remember uh, my, my grandmother and my father getting into a pretty big back and forth over this. And then the next day or maybe two days after, my grandmother uh, said to my father, I love how well-behaved your children are. Boy, that's all he needed. (laughs) He looked at her and he said something along these lines. He said, Mom, you can't get the final product unless you follow the recipe. He said this. He said, the ingredients make the recipe. The ingredients make the recipe. Now, I thought about doing this this morning, but... uh, Uh, I thought it would be too much to do on a day where we're dedicating babies. But I saw a preacher one time bring seven or eight people up, and he had an ingredients list of what makes cookies. And he handed one guy flour, and another guy eggs, and another guy sugar, that person loved, another guy vanilla extract, and he said, I want you to eat those ingredients raw. Now, nobody wants to eat raw eggs, unless you're Rocky Balboa. Um... Nobody wants to eat flour, right? But you put all that together, and you mix it all up, and you put that in the oven. Look, you don't even have to put it in the oven. I'll just eat cookie dough the way it is. Amen? You say, you get salmonella that way. I'm 35 years old and haven't gotten it yet, so probably not. But um, uh, I was one of the reasons why I'd get in trouble is my mom would make cookie dough, and when she was looking the other way, I'd put my finger in there and... And get some, how many of you ever got some cookie dough when your mom wasn't looking? Okay, so how many of you make cookie dough just so you can put, Miss Christine makes so she can just eat it raw probably. Uh, but um, uh, but uh, th- those ingredients make the recipe. And moms and dads, I want to tell you this morning, if you still have young children at home or you still have children at home, not every part of parenting is fun. You hear me? There are things you're called to do and commanded to do in Scripture you don't want to do. When my child steps out of line, when my children step out of line, I don't enjoy telling them to go to their room, and I don't enjoy what follows after that. There's no part of me that enjoys that. But, and listen, that isn't all that parenting is, but you cannot leave that part of it out. Every one of those ingredients that the Bible gives us make the recipe. Well, what are the ingredients that make the recipe? I, I, I put together a list. By no means is this list complete. By no means is this an all-encompassing list, if you will. But uh, here are some of the things that make up the ingredient list that comes to raising a child to adulthood, to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. When they're uh, babies or newborns, you have their sleep schedule worry with, or they worry about your sleep schedule, I guess, Uh, but their sleep schedule, are you going to nurse them, are you going to bottle feed them, Um, uh, uh, where do you take them, how warm do you dress them, what do you buy, what do you put on them, all of those things that come, and it's funny how parents work, when they have one child, they got the hand sanitizer out, that first child got the hand sanitizer out, anytime the pacifier falls on the floor, they throw it away and get a new one. By the fourth child, they pick it up, they put it in their mouth, and they stick it in the child's mouth. Right? And as you go, it's like, ah, whatever. Um, But you have those things to worry about when they're newborn. And then as they get older, there is their church, their reading habits, their education, their friends, 
their TV habits, their video games? Uh, do you let them have a cell phone? If so, uh, at what age do you let them have that cell phone? There's the media, there's social media, uh, there are extracurricular activities they get themselves involved in. Sometimes that brings about coaches. If you have them in church, there's a youth pastor or youth pastors. There's family friends. There's other adults that you may allow uh, to have an influence in their life. There's school teachers. And then there's how to navigate uh, a conversation with your teenager. That one's tough by itself. How many of you have teenagers at home or remember having teenagers at home? How, how was your day today? Fine. Did you learn anything at school? Nope. You've asked them 10 questions. and They found a way to answer it in a phrase or less, sometimes one word or less. And you're like, good night. How do I talk to this person? Um, can I go to my room now? No, not till you talk to me. Just the navigating a conversation with a teenager can be tough. And so um, those, of you, those of you that are just worried about whether or not your child's or when your child's going to roll over, I would say enjoy those days because the teen years are coming. And um, uh, Mark Twain said, when a child turns 13, put them in a box and put a hole in the box. And when the child turns 18, plug the hole. Um, <laughs> these and many, many others are all contributing factors to how your child will turn out. Mom and dad, um, there, there, there's one ingredient that surpasses all ingredients. I hope you're listening right now. There's one ingredient that surpasses all ingredients. And that ingredient is you. It's you. As the son of a Christian school administrator, my father has run Christian schools, private Christian schools, for over 30 years. I cannot tell you how many times a mom and dad of an 18, 19-year-old rebellious child has walked into my father's office and said, I put my, chi- my child was in church two or three times a week, and I paid all this money to this Christian school. Can you tell me why my child turned out so rotten? And my father, as loving and kind and gracious as he knew how to say it, in essence, just to strip away the tact and put it plain, what he would end up telling them in a kind way was, the church and the school are extensions of you. If the child turned out rotten, you need to look in the mirror. It's not the church and the school's fault. Now today, you have to understand that God has given you that baby, that little boy, that little girl. And that child, is, that baby is not going to stay a baby very long. You're going to be developing teeth and learning how to eat and walking, crawling, walking, and running, and then learning their ABCs and one, two, threes, and that turns into calculus and physics. And then off to college. And as that child grows, they're looking to you to provide the leadership for where they go, how they go, what they become, who they become. And so you one day are going to give that child back to the Lord. You one day are going to have to give an account to God for how that child turned out. Let me read a verse of scripture here for you out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Listen what it says here. This is being spoken to those who are under authority. So this would, for the sake of the message, this is written to your children. Listen carefully. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Oh, wow. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 
You know what that verse is saying? Hey, uh, boys and girls. Hey, children. One day, your mom and dad, they're going to stand in front of God. And they're going to give an account for the way you turned out. Boy, you better obey your mom and dad. You better do what's right so they can give that account with joy and not with grief, not with sorrow. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 tells us parents this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, a lot of folks want to emphasize the result of the verse. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And that will be saved for another time. I would like to put the emphasis on that first word or those first two words. Train up. Train up a child. That doesn't just mean that you have a short sighted idea of each day you wake up and just survive the day. No, you have a long term plan in place for your children. And each day you are training them toward that ultimate goal of who you want them to become. There is a, a, a citizen of the United States of America you have in mind. There is a citizen of heaven you have in mind. And you are investing in them to get them to become who it is is that they ought to be as a citizen of this country, but more importantly, who it is that they ought to be as a citizen of God's kingdom. Every day you're doing things to take away the bad character and instill in them the right kind of character. You're training them. You're preparing them for life. Here in this passage, 1 Samuel, uh, we find two parenting styles that could not be more opposite from each other. Elkanah and Hannah would raise Samuel to be one of Israel's greatest prophets. Eli, the priest, would raise two boys who scripture labels as sons of Belial or sons of the devil. This morning, I would like for us to contrast uh, the way Hannah and Elkanah raised Samuel and the way Eli raised Hophni and Phinehas. And this morning, look at how it is that we are to prepare our children. Uh, before we hop into the outline this morning, and you can find that on the back of your bulletin, I would encourage you to fill in the blanks there as you go. Before we hop into it, I just want to add one more little thing. It's this. Having the pastor hold your baby on the platform, and pray over your baby, listen closely, it guarantees nothing. Are you listening? Now, we do this because it's scriptural. We do this because it's given to us to do. But this service is meant to be a starting point for you to go forth and raise that baby the way that the Lord Wants you to raise that baby. Now, in our illustra- in our passage today, where the Bible illustrates two different parenting styles, Eli was the priest, and his children turned out like the devil. Hannah and Elkanah were not part of the uh, the priesthood. They were not part of the church, but their child turned out to serve God greater than almost any other child that's been raised in all of humanity. It doesn't matter whether or not the pastor holds your baby and prays over it. What matters is how you raise that child to love the Lord. And so I want to make sure we get that, make that very clear this morning. The sermon has three main points. We're going to go through the sermon in a way that's a little unorthodox this morning. I'm going to give you points one, two, and three. Below point one, I'm going to give you letter A. Then we'll move on to point two, and I'll give you letter A. Then we'll move on to point three, and I'll give you letter A. Then we'll come back, and we'll fill in letter B. Secondly, what we're going to do in letter A is we're going to look at the way Elkanah and Hannah raised Samuel. And then in letter B, we're going to look at the way Elkanah, or rather the way Eli raised Hophni and Phinehas. Let's jump in this morning uh, and and, uh, begin the outline. Notice number one, parental devotion. 
parental devotion. Letter A, notice parents who are devoted to worship. Parents who are devoted to worship. After you get those filled in, look down at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 15. Let's notice here that mom and dad, from the very get-go, even prior to Samuel being born, are devoted to worshiping the Lord. Look at verse 15. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now, many of you know the backstory here, but for those who don't, I'll fill you in really quick. Um, uh, Elkanah, back in the Bible times, it was common for a man to have two wives. Elkanah was married uh, to two, woman, two women, a woman named Penina and then Hannah. And God had given Penina, or God had opened Penina's womb, and Penina had had babies, but Hannah was not able to have a child. And each year they would travel up to Jerusalem from their home in Shiloh, where they would, uh, uh, where they would um, uh, uh, be part of the sacrifices and the days of feast there. And, and Penina was giving Hannah a hard time. Look, I have children and you don't. And Hannah was just very sorrowful because God had closed her womb and she was not able to have babies. And so Hannah, uh, uh, instead of eating there at the feast, she found her way into the temple, there into the main area of the temple, much like our church auditorium here would be. And she's in there alone while everyone else is out eating. She's on her knees and she's grieving and she's weeping because she doesn't have a baby. Eli the priest comes into the room where Hannah is and she assumes that Hannah is just stone drunk. She's weeping, she's a blubbering mess, she's probably blowing her nose, she's just a mess. And and Eli says to her, he says, what are you doing in here drunk? Shame on you. He thought she'd been with the people at the fellowship and things had been taken too far. And she says, no, I'm not drunk, I'm of a sorrowful spirit. I want to have a baby and my womb has been closed. You see the worship here? You see how that when things turned wrong for her and things weren't going her way, the very first thing she did was she turned to the Lord for help. Look down at verse number 19. And they rose up, or, 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 they rose up in the morning early and worshipped. Look there. Worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah and his wife and the Lord remembered her. So Eli tells Hannah, or rather Eli, yeah, Eli tells Hannah, he says, um, uh, get up, go your way, don't be sorrowful anymore. The Lord is going to give you your request. Now, she didn't wring her hands and worry and say, oh, well, I don't know if the Lord's going to come through or not. Once God's man had said, you're going to have a baby, she just believed. And she went back and she told her husband, she said, God is going to open my womb and give me a baby. And they didn't. The Bible doesn't say they sat there and worried together. It says they sat there and they worshiped the Lord together. Look down at verse number, uh, uh, look, look, rather look at chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, and Hannah uh, prayed and said, now here she's had her baby. Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. A good chunk of the beginning of chapter 2 is a long prayer that Hannah would pray rejoicing in the Lord. In times of trouble, Hannah turned to the Lord. Uh, when, uh, when, when she was told that she was going to get what she wanted, she worshipped the Lord. And then... 
when the baby was born, she prayed and she rejoiced in the Lord. We see Hannah's devotion. Mom and dad, that little child of yours looks up to you and, and, and watches you. And uh, if you're a dad, you are larger than life to that little boy or that little girl. They look at you. They think you're the strongest man walking the planet. Uh, your little girl's going to think you're the most handsome man in the pla- on the planet until they turn about 12 or 13. And all of a sudden, you know, you're not so handsome anymore. I remember uh, April. I've shared this before, but I remember April. We took her to the circus one time and uh, she was probably five or six years old. And uh, there was one of those guys with the big, long uh, telephone beams on their shoulders with the swings. And a couple of girls were on the swings. And he's spinning that thing around on his head. And, and the wheels are just turning in April's head. And she looks at me and she says, Dad, he's stronger than you. And I said, he's the only man on the planet that's stronger than me. And don't you forget it. There comes a day where they realize that before the first several years of their life, you are larger than life. They're watching you. When you worship the Lord and they're at a young, tender age, that makes a strong impression in their heart. That goes a long ways with them in how they're going to live. Are you devoted to worship? We're all devoted to something, but mom and dad, while your child is at an impressionable age, are they seeing a parent who is saved and serving the Lord and in love with the Lord? Number two, we see parental discipline. Parental discipline. We looked at parental devotion, number one. Number two, parental discipline. Letter A, we see parents who labor. Parents who labor. Look down at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and look at verse number 21. We looked at the verse 21 in just a moment. A moment ago, we're going to read all the way down to verse 28 here. Let's let the word of God speak to us this morning. The Bible says, And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. So let me pause there. Every year they would go up to uh, uh, Jerusalem there and they would uh, uh, they would give their offering to the Lord. They would make a sacrifice to the Lord. And this was something that was commanded of, uh, by, uh, from the Lord through Moses to them so many years ago. And we get, again, to go back to the devoted point, it's time for them to go. Samuel is little. Baby Samuel is little. He's small. But they're not going to let little baby Samuel's schedule get in the way of their devotion to the Lord in the house of the Lord. You hear what I said there? We're not going to let a little child be the boss of us and dictate the schedule to us. Now, Elkanah said, it's time to go. We're going to go. And look at what Hannah said. Look at verse number 22. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him. Look here, and if you mark in your Bible, let me encourage you to underline this next phrase, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. Hannah said this, she said, I'm not going to go up, I'm going to stay here. My baby's not ready for that long journey. Elkanah, you go, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to begin to prepare our child to be presented before the Lord. Look at verse 23. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. Are you seeing the, the, the priority here in their home? So the woman abode and gave her son suck until uh, she weaned him. And when she had weaned him and took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the uh, house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young and they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. Again, all of these 23 or 24 and 25 are aspects of Old Testament worship. I want you to notice that they're 
doing this in front of Samuel. Verse 26, And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman, she's speaking to Eli here, that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. Verse 27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me by petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. By the way, that he is Samuel. Samuel worshipped the Lord there. Now, uh, uh, the Bible doesn't give us the specifics of how they disciplined uh, baby Samuel. It does not give us the specifics, but let me tell you what it does give us. It gives us Elkanah and Hannah's end goal. Their end goal was for him to love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's laid out very clear. Uh, now, uh, we oftentimes think of the word discipline. We think of a short, shallow uh, meaning of discipline. When we think of discipline, we think of punishing somebody. We think of a child who's out of line, and we say, that child needs to be disciplined. You ever been in the grocery store and seen a child running amok with his parents and thought, boy, I wish I could get my hands on that child. I, I'd straighten him out. You ever thought that? When, uh, when uh, we were, um, uh, when I was younger and had more energy and didn't have as many responsibilities, Angela and I would see a child out of line and we'd say, boy, I wish we could bring him into our home for about three or four months and give him back. That child would be much better behaved. Now I'm too wore out to take care of anybody else's child. I'm just trying to take care of my own. Uh, but uh, you see children that lack discipline and that when we say lack discipline, what we, what we really mean is they lack the ability to control themselves. They lack proper behavior. Discipline. Mom and dad, you want, no doubt, you sit here today and you have this theory of a child, or you have this, rather, this thought of your child growing up to be some great person, to do something great. If she's a young lady or a young man, you have dreams of aspiration. If you don't properly discipline that child with a long-term plan in mind, listen, that child is going to grow up and that child's going to act entitled. That child's going to grow up and is going to act out of control. And you, uh, by the way, parents without children, they are the best parents walking the planet. <laughs> have you noticed this? And, and let me tell you who's even better. People who aren't even married, they're really good at telling people how to parent. Then that little terror is born in your home and you think, what have I gotten myself into? You be kind toward other people and their, uh, their ability or inability to parent. You pray for them. You don't judge them or dismiss them. And I'm not here today to judge or dismiss anyone. I'm just here to simply say, you must have a long-term goal in mind for what you want of that child. And you must be willing to punish where punishment's necessary. You must be willing to strip away the wrong and reinforce the right and do it in a way that's biblical. Hannah and Elkanah, they very clearly said, we want our child to serve the Lord. That's the long-term goal in mind. So everything we do today, the details today determine the direction tomorrow. Let me say that again. The details today determine the direction tomorrow. If I go day after day after day and I'm not following the details that are going to lead my child to serve the Lord, then I can't wake up one day and go, why isn't my child loving the Lord? Why isn't my child obedient to Scripture? Why is my child at 18 dropped out of church? Why is my child all of a sudden not want to have anything to do with the way that we've raised him? You must do the details when they're little so that when tomorrow when they grow up, they're direction is right. Parents 
devotion, parental discipline. Number three, notice our children's decision. Our children's decision. Notice letter A, children who seek to please the Lord. Now, I want to make sure I say this here because I no doubt there are some parents of older children in the room that are a little bit uncomfortable. So let me make a clarifying statement this morning. At the end of the day, you can do everything right. Your child still has their own free will and their own choice. You can do everything right. You understand Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them was a devil. Was there a better leader on planet earth than Jesus Christ? And Judas was still in his fold. You can do everything right and still have a child whose life goes off the rails. And some of you here today are in that boat. Your child is not in church this morning. Your child is running and living like the world. They're hanging out with people that are a bad influence on them. And you hear a sermon like this and it's easy to look back over your shoulder and say, what did I do wrong? And it's possible you did some things wrong, but it's also possible that you did a pretty good job of raising them. And they, on their own, have chose to be that prodigal child for a while and run from the Lord. And the sermon today is not meant for you. The sermon today is meant for those with little ones in their house. But I would just tell you this quickly. I'll insert this here quickly. If your child is running from the Lord, the way you get them back is, number one, you be faithful. And you don't stop being faithful. And number two, you don't stop praying. You fall on your knees and you never lose hope for that child. You say, you don't know how far gone my child is. Listen, I don't know what a sinner your child is, but I know what a Savior he is. And I know that there's no one that the Lord can't redeem in time. You just stay faithful. At the end of the day, your child has a choice. Let me just say, though, with all that said, to circle back around to the parents with little children, let me just say that if you put in the right ingredients your chances of getting the right product are much higher. You must develop your child. You must put them on a track that's right. Those who are naysayers, those who are critical of the way I was raised or the way I'm raising my children, the way many of you are raising your children, you know what one of the things they say? They say, ah, you're brainwashing that baby. You're, brain, you're sheltering that child. You're, you're brainwashing that baby. Can I tell you something? I want my child's brain to be real clean. So I'm going to brainwash all day long. By the way, do you know what turning on the TV does to your child? Do you know what much of uh, of the upper uh, education system does? Including our colleges and universities? I have a nephew who was raised in a good, solid Christian home. Went to a solid Christian school through uh, elementary school, then went on to a public uh, junior high and high school, and um, was raised in a home with a mom and dad who were procreation and and uh, small government, and, and not to get it, make it political, but they sent him off to the University of Michigan, and and he's just about become an atheist. He's he's, he's done a 180 on everything he believes. What happened? The education system got hold of him. The education system got hold. Of him. You know what they're doing? They're trying to take your child the other direction. You. As a mom and dad, you are the one that is putting in the right things. There's a phrase out there, garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, 
garbage out. When that child looks at you, Dad, is he seeing a dad that loves the Lord and is following the Lord and obedient to the Lord and faithful to church? And every time the door hinge squeaks at church, boy, you're there. And uh, your child wakes up in the morning and comes down uh, out of the bedroom and sees you with the Word of God open at the table and finds you on your knees praying regularly and sees you loving on mom and sees you uh, trusting God through the hard times and sees you uh, uh, treating others with kindness and respect and honesty and integrity, a parent who's devoted to the Lord, a parent who's disciplining the child to love the Lord, that child one day grows up and looks at God in the eyes and says, it's not good enough for you to be my father's God. I want you to be my God. That child has to make the decision. Do you know that for Samuel, that happened at a young age? Look back with me at 1 Samuel uh, uh, chapter uh, number to, uh, uh, chapter number 2, and look at verse number uh, 20, let's see, 28. It says, Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord. Look at the rest of the verse. And, and if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. And he, who is the he? It's Samuel. How old is Samuel in this verse? He's just got through being weaned. Now, now, granted, they weaned children until they were, uh, they weaned children at three or were four years old. At the oldest, he's four. Look what it says here about this four-year-old boy. And he worshipped the Lord there. He worshipped the Lord. Mom and dad, for the first four years, poured their souls into raising this child to love God. And at four years old, he looked up at, at, at God and he said, I, me. I want to worship you. Wow. He made the decision. Look here. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse number 11. Chapter 2, verse number 11. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Look down at verse number 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. That was the garb wore in the temple. Look at chapter 2, verse number 26. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. So we see here that he is developed socially and he's developed spiritually. He's poured himself into being who he's supposed to be socially with men, and he's becoming the young man that God wants him to be. The Bible says the Lord found favor with him. Now look at 1 Samuel chapter 3 and look at verse number 1. And uh, this is a story taught oftentimes in, in a junior church or a child's Sunday school. It's a fascinating story. I want you to notice here that Samuel is still just a young man. And the Lord chooses to have a verbal conversation with him. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place. And his eyes uh, began to wax dim. So he's, he's in the twilight. He's falling asleep. That he could not see. And, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. Then the Lord came, uh, called Samuel. And he said, Here am I. And he ran into Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I call not, lie down. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I call not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed. 
revealed unto him. And the Lord uh, called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Samuel and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said uh, unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Boy, this, this, at this point, he's seven, eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere in that range, most likely. He's been working in the temple. He's been growing in his social abilities. He's been growing in his spiritual love for the Lord. He, he lays down to sleep in his bedroom there in the temple. And God comes down and verbally says, Samuel, Samuel. And he doesn't know the voice of the Lord. He's never had a vocal conversation with God. And so he gets out of bed and he goes to, to, to Eli and he says, Yes, did you need me? Now, notice the immediate obedience. And, and Eli's annoyed. He says, I didn't call you. I'm trying to sleep. Go back to bed. And so Samuel's like, well, I know I heard something. What's going on here? So he goes and lays down. And again, the Lord calls him. And he gets up and goes to Eli. And he says, you called me. And he says, I didn't call you. This happens three times. And then it dawns on Eli, the Lord is trying to speak to Samuel. He said, the next time this happens, you just say... Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Boy, at a young age, please don't miss this. The dispensation, the air is different. Things operate a little bit different today. The Lord doesn't speak in audible voices to people anymore. But can I, can I make one strong application here? At a young, tender age, Samuel began to develop his own relationship with the, with the Lord. And today, if you will have a walk with God, mom and dad, and you will properly invest in your children at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, the Lord can begin to minister to them in their heart. Boy, Samuel chose, he made a choice to please the Lord. Let's go back to point number one. And now let's look at Eli. And let's look at the way this priest raised his boys. Number one, parental devotion. We looked at letter A, parents who were devoted to worship. Let's, let's contrast Elkanah and Hannah to Eli. Letter B, notice, parents who are devoted to worldliness. Parents who are devoted to worldliness. Look at 1 Samuel chapter number 2. And look at verse number 27. Now, um, I've heard this story. Uh, I've, I've preached and taught this story many times. As I was preparing for this message, I noticed something that I don't think I'd ever noticed before. Some of you are better Bible scholars than me in here, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And so some of you say, well, Pastor, how could you not know that? Well, somehow I missed this detail. But somewhere in the process of Samuel living in the temple with Eli and his two boys, Hophni and Phinehas. By the way, we don't know where Mrs. Eli was and uh, many have speculated that uh, either she died or that these uh, that she left. Who knows what happened there? But uh, he was a single father trying to raise these two boys on his own. Somewhere in that process of it being Eli, Samuel, Hophni, and Phineas, God sent a prophet to confront Eli over his poor parenting. Look at verse twenty-seven. And there came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. 
Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy fathers when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer unto mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of, of thy fathers all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offerings, which I have commanded in thy habitation. Can I translate that real quick? You are making a mockery of the sacrifices being done here in the temple. You're kicking at it. You're belittling it. You're making fun of it by the way you're handling it. Look here. And honorest thy sons above me. And make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Now, for sake of time, we won't read down through verse number 31. But let me just point out a couple of things here. Notice here it says that he was worshiping his children above the Lord. His children, the wants and desires of his children meant more to him than the Lord meant to him. He is God's man. Can I give an equivalent? This would be like me missing the next two months of preaching on Sunday morning because my kids don't feel good and need me to stay home and take care of them. Or because my kids want to go to Six Flags. Oh, well, you know, I was too busy taking my kids to visit all the amusement parks and and I didn't have time, Lord, to get up and, and minister to your people. You know, someone ought to come put their finger in my face and say, either you're the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church or you're not. Who are you worshiping, mom and dad? Now, I don't mean to step too hard, but I'm going to step a little bit. We live in a day and time where moms and dads skip church because their baby has a runny nose. I'm not talking about a fever. I mean a little bit of a nasal drip. Or they skip church because, well, my children just don't feel like going to church today. Who's calling the shots in your house? Are you the parent? Are you parenting them or are they parenting you? Samuel had an obligation to the Lord. And the Bible says here that he elevated his children above the Lord. You know what that is? Can I just put it right on the bottom shelf for us? That's idolatry. When I was um, uh, voted in here, before, prior to that, there was a question air held upstairs. And this would have been January February of 2016. And someone raised their hand and they asked me that questionnaire. They said, what will you do for our children's program? And my answer was something along, along these lines. We live in an era where people worship their children. And so if we can get strong children's programs and get people's children in church, they'll come to church. And we've worked hard to do that here in the last three plus years. We've worked hard to do that here. But can I say something to you this morning? You are to lead your children to love the Lord. You're not to let your children lead you to love them. Now, how do you love your children? You love your children by teaching them how to honor the Lord with their life. There's no greater thing you can do to love those kids. Now look back here. I want to show you one other thing in this passage, and we'll move on here. Look here. It says in verse number 29, uh, the second half of the verse, And honorest thy sons above me. Look here. For what purpose? To make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings to Israel my people. I'm just going to preach the word here. Listen. Um, I'm not picking on anyone who has a little bit of weight on them, all right? If, if you knew me when I was 18 and you know me now, I'm trending in that direction, okay? You with me here? I have to work hard to not be larger than I am. Now, there are people who struggle with weight because of their genetics, and then there are people who struggle with weight because they can't control their eating. Everybody okay this morning? 
Let's put our big boy pants and skirts and dresses on and let's not get offended, okay? I'm not meaning to hurt anyone's feelings this morning, okay? Samuel, rather Eli, was more concerned with his fleshly appetite than he was teaching his children discipline. He let those boys eat whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. By the way, Eli ate whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. If you go to the end of Eli's life, Eli's weight kills him. He's in a rocking chair. Hophni and Phinehas are at battle against the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant is stolen. Hophni and Phinehas are killed in war. The word is brought back to Eli that his sons were dead. That didn't really bother Eli. What bothered him was that the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. When he heard that news, he fell backwards in his rocking chair and he landed on his neck and the weight from his body snapped his neck and killed him. You can read the story for yourself the next couple of chapters. You know why? Because Eli couldn't control his fleshly appetites. I preached on temperance a couple of Sundays ago, maybe it was last week, and I talked about how that we live in a day where there is a smorgasbord of sin for you to go and indulge yourself in, and you can do it privately, and no one else knows, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Parents who are devoted to worldliness, are you devoted to worship this morning, or are you devoted to worldliness? I hasten, number two, parental discipline. We looked at letter A, parents who labor. Let's look at letter B, parents who are lazy. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Again, we're looking at Eli with his two boys, Hophni and Phinehas. I'm going to give you a really practical point to parenting here shortly. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever and for the iniquity which he knoweth. Look here. Because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Look at that. He restrained them not. If you're a mom and dad in the room this morning, whether your kids are at home or or grown, can you underline that phrase? He restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offerings Forever. He cannot go to the temple. He cannot offer up a sacrifice and have this sin expunged or, or, or atoned. He will pay for this with his life. You know what? He restrained them not. There is a two-letter word that exists in our dictionary. And by the time your child gets to the age two, they become very good at saying that word. Do any of you know what that word is? Will you all say it for me? Boy, you're a smart crowd. (laughs) Our kids are really good at telling us no. All right, here's the practical parenting advice for today. I'm going to make it super practical if you've got a small one at home. When your child uses the word no, you must treat that word like a curse word. You can't let them say it. You can't let them run with it. Now, if you tell them to smoke drugs at two and they say no, that's good. But when you tell them to pick up their sippy cup and put it on the table and they say, no, that's not good. This is where your child is going to figure out who's in charge. Can I tell you, it really begins a little bit earlier than that. For most children, it begins the first time they arch their back. 
You're trying to hold them and they throw their back. I don't want you to hold me. Now, I hope no one looks at me as an abuser. I'm not an abusive dad. I promise I'm not. My children, you could inject truth serum in them and they tell you I'm not an abusive father. We rarely ever anymore have to punish our children with corporal punishment. By the way, corporal punishment is biblical. And you, your flesh may not like that, but just go study it in Scripture. It's biblical. Um, I don't think you should ever really hit your child with your hand, but there are ways you can spank a child. Can I tell you what you should do the first time your child arcs his back? You should take a little piece of wood and you should just pop him on the diaper. Don't, you don't need to leave a mark, but just pop him on the diaper. They're going to scream and cry. That's okay. They're going to learn not to arch that back. You know what? When they say no, you need to pop them on the diaper again. And again, you're not leaving a mark, but you're letting them know that equals pain. Your rebellious heart equals hurt. Can I tell you why that's so important? Because when they're 18, 19, and 20, and they tell their boss no, you know what your, their boss is going to do to them? Hit the road, Bucky. You're fired. There is consequences when we say no to those who are in charge. Why not start teaching them that when they're little so they don't have to learn it when they're big? We all right this morning? We okay this morning? God's way is best. Your flesh may not like it, but God's way is best. Can I tell you this morning why many parents don't follow God's model in parenting? Can I just be honest? They're lazy. Their flesh doesn't want to do it, so they don't do it. How many books, mom and dad, have you read on how to raise a child in a way that pleases the Lord? How many Bible studies have you done in Scripture? How many times have you broken down the Scriptures? Do you even know what the book of Proverbs says about how to take a simple one and lead him to the land of wisdom? Have you taken the time to read it and study it and understand it? For me, the best thing that ever happened to me when I was 25 years old, I was given a a Sunday school class of young married couples. Matthew was like three months old, and I'm teaching uh, uh, people in their 30s and 40s who have six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, and I'm being told that I'm going to get up and tell these people how to raise their kids. And I'm like, ah, Matthew's three months old. I have no experience. You know what I did? I got a whole bunch of books written by good people who'd raise good kids, and I read those books, and I just taught the material. And it helped me to develop parenting skills. Have you... Put in the work to be a good mom and dad. Parents who are lazy. What happened to Eli? Eli had no plan for his child. And so he could not discipline him to become something. Letter C. or Number three, uh, lastly, our, ch- our children's decision. We looked at letter A to please the Lord. Letter B, let's look at the pleasure of the world. The pleasure of the world. Your child one day is going to make a decision. He's either going to choose to please the Lord or he's going to choose, he's going to, choose to please the world. Which is it going to be? The pleasure of the world. Now, there are people, please listen. I know I'm starting to lose some of you here. I'm almost done. Please stay engaged just a few more minutes, okay? I'm almost done, I promise. There are children out there that try to do both. They go to church once a month, and they want to live in the world. One day, that child's going to fall off the fence. They're either going to land in church, they're going to land in the world. You're going to have to help that child guide them along to make the right choice. I want to show you what happens when you raise your child to follow fleshly appetites. You raise that child not to be obedient to the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to read two passages. I'm going to make one more a brief comment, and we're going to be done with the message this morning. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. 
Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. That means sons of the devil. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice and the priest's servants came, while the flesh was in, in, was in seething or boiling, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it in the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, uh, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priests took for himself. So they did in Shiloh until, uh, unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before uh, they burnt the fat, the priest's servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, uh, for he will not have any sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto them, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force." Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. What would happen is they would do these animal sacrifices. They would take the meat. They would put it in some sort of a, a slow cook process pot. And that meat would cook to a place where it was edible. And then they had a flesh hook. They'd reach down and draw the meat out once it was cooked and they'd eat it. Eli's sons would go as soon as that meat hit the water while it was still bloody. And they would say, put the flesh hook in and pull it out now. I want to eat the meat raw. Now, I'm for those of you that want to eat your steak medium rare, but this is another level. And the Bible says that the sin of of these boys made the people abhor the offering of the Lord. Look down at verse number 22. It gets worse. Now, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel. Look here. And how... They lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacles of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not. Unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. They were going down onto the steps where the people gathered for the temple, and they were convincing the girls to come in the temple and sleep with them. Boy, how horrid is that? These are the priest's sons. They had made a choice to pleasure, the pleasure of the world. The pleasure of the world. Mom and Dad, I just want to challenge you with this. Be devoted to church. Be devoted to the book. Have a plan for your child and train them up. And then have children that choose to love the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, would you help us today to be parents who love you? Would you help us to be parents that honor you? Would you help us to be parents that serve you with a heart that's full of love? A heart that's righteous. A heart that's honest. Lord, a heart that's committed and faithful. Help us, Lord, to be parents who raise a Samuel. And Lord, not sons of Belial. In Jesus' name.